There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I am recording. I'm Robert Evans. No, and I said I'm, I was going to start this episode. I'm ashamed. Yeah, ro- okay. Sophie Lichterman here. Uh, we just did a full five minutes of this podcast where an incredible opening with Robert who like accused me of crimes, used my full legal name and, uh, uh, mispronounced Caitlin Durante, our fabulous guest's last name 16 times. And, uh, and, 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 and we don't have it for you because Robert wasn't recorded. Yeah. Well, how do you feel? Look, I I think I am a hero and did nothing wrong. I mean, don't ever change, but also you should you should record yourself. Well, I mean, let's get the opinion of our of our guest for today. Yeah, Caitlin yeah, Durante. Pre- let, let's go. Oh. Caitlin, go, how are how are you? How are you doing? Your last name correctly this time? I just did. I want it clear one time. Caitlin Durante. No. <laughs> I don't know what you're having problems with. <laughs> oh my god, it's incredible. Durante, you're being very Durante, mean to me. Durante. I said Durante. I said that. No, you did not. Sophie, this is not professional, okay? We have oh, a podcast to do. Evan, Caitlin, Robert, bad. I apologize. It's okay. How are you doing? I'm <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm good, Caitlin. You help to host a podcast, co-host, some would mm-hmm. say, most mm-hmm. would say, mm-hmm. uh, a podcast called The Bechtel Cast, yeah. which is about Hollywood and movies and sexism and sexism in Hollywood movies. This is all true. Mm-hmm. Yes. And with, 
Mm-hmm. We just we've found that there's there's no problem. There's Not, no problem yeah, with no problem. sexism in no. Hollywood. It's no, actually it's, they're doing a great job. It's all good, baby. It's all good. That's what everybody <laughs> says about Michael Bay in that unproblematic <laughs> oh, scene where he showed <laughs> a cutout laminated <laughs> of Texas's Romeo and Juliet law allowing adults to sleep with teenagers. <gasps> Wait, have you not seen that? Oh my God. I think it's the third Transformers. It might be the fourth, but there's one of the characters is like, he's an Australian race car driver and he's dating Mark Wahlberg's daughter who is 17. And he's like, 20 something and mark Wahlberg is like hey that's illegal you're my daughter's a child and you're an adult and the kid pulls out a laminated copy of texas's (gasps) romeo and juliet law and the camera centers on it and focuses for like several seconds long enough for you to read the entirety of the law like it's very clearly michael bay being like hey you can fuck children in texas Oh it's my amazing (laughs) (laughs) wow it is um, it's hard to I, say something's one of the creepiest moments in Hollywood history, but that that's got to hit the mark. <laughs> that's in the running for mm-hmm. that award. Yeah. Holy mm-hmm. crap. Yeah, it's amazing. I hate that. <laughs> oh, you y'all have to watch that now because I, I need to hear Jamie Loftus have an aneurysm through a podcast. <laughs> well, we keep trying to get you on yeah, the you've show. Never come to, on the Bechtelcast. You've never asked me on. Oh. Well, we we've <laughs> lied. Look, lie. 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 I don't believe I've ever been asked on. I've asked. Caitlin's asked. Jamie's asked. I've asked again. Jamie's asked I, again. I would never it's, say no to Jamie or Caitlin. It's, uh, I, like I mean, I maybe you're. <laughs> I, I, it is, I definitely say no to you sometimes. So you, like when you tell me to wake up at the ass crack of dawn. You mean noon. It, it could yeah. it, it could be that the movie we want you to do is the Hannah Montana movie. And maybe you've been yeah. reluctant to come on for that that was Not love montana <laughs> <laughs> then no. great we'll see you there for the okay. montana right. the I, famous movie titled montana i do love montana <laughs> i am i am assuming it is a sequel to the hunt for red october where sam neill's character is resurrected by an archangel and becomes a farmer outside of bozeman now that is you my it. head cannon all right mm-hmm. so Caitlin, normally on this show, when someone comes in having a good day, it's our job to ruin it by telling them about how a bunch of babies got killed or molested Mm. or uh, how, I don't know, the world got poisoned or uh, Mm. something horrible happened. But today we're going to have a little bit more fun with it. Oh. Yeah. Today, our bastard didn't kill anybody except for arguably maybe one baby. (laughs) Well, okay then. (laughs) Yeah, that barely counts as a crime. Like by our standards, he he's earned the Robert Evans Award for killing no more than one baby, maybe potentially. (laughs) Yeah, let's Mm -hmm. give this guy a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, I would I would argue that he would have killed less babies than most people who have won Nobel Peace Prizes. That's. That's that's definitely that's absolutely true. (laughs) Um, Caitlin. Have you ever heard of Bernard McFadden? Bernard McFadden? Bernard, yeah. Not Bernard. Bernard. Nope. Bernard. McFadden. Okay. Bernard. I've not I mean, at heard one point, Bernard. Bernard. But yeah. Bernard. Um, okay. Well, this is going to be a fun time because 
So obviously, uh, you know, when, when we think about the apocalypse, right, the end of days, there mm-hmm. are a number of ways, like a, a, all the nukes could come, like that the 99 red balloon scenario, I think is one, one people think a lot, something like that. Mm-hmm. Aliens could come down, asteroid. I think, based on the pandemic we've had, one of the likeliest ways the world might end involves fitness influencers. I think there's a pretty good chance that the end of the human race heavily involves wellness uh, and the people who get famous promoting wellness. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, I, and, and, uh, yeah, that tracks to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I need to like belabor that point. Now, the title fitness influencer today applies to just about anybody who like writes about health uh, to a social media audience that's above a certain size. Mm-hmm. And studies consistently show that at best about one in 10 of these people provide broadly accurate information. So about 90 percent of, of health influencers are just lying to people, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, why they're going to help end human civilization. We can currently trace a significant amount of COVID-19 disinformation to what are currently called micro-influencers. These are people with like about 10 to 100,000 followers on apps like Instagram, mm-hmm. um, which counts as micro. Um, and Makes there's me actually, feel really bad about my following then. It's okay. Yeesh. <laughs> because, Caitlin, I feel confident saying in, in upwards of 80% of my theoreticals, you have no role in ending civilization. <laughs> Yeah, but I want the power with more yeah, to be able to if I wanted it, to, if I had more it, followers. It would be fun because Joe Rogan could snap his fingers and wipe out cities. Um, <laughs> also, follow at Caitlin Durante on Instagram. Yeah, follow yeah. Caitlin Durante yeah, boost my, at Instagram. Boost my, boost my following so that I yeah, can yeah. help and the world Turn if Caitlin I want to. into a micro-influencer because studies show that micro-influencers are actually much more influential. I was just joking about Joe Rogan, but people with that kind of following are mm. less influential than people with like the 10 to 100,000 follower range. One of the theories is that like it's a little more intimate. So people think maybe they're less trying to sell me stuff and more like my friend giving me health advice. Yeah, a, per- a person with only, you know, 12,000 followers is a little bit more relatable than someone with 3.2 million. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so... At present time, I I would argue that like roughly a third of American industry is different kinds of fitness and health and wellness influencers. It feels like that's the most common job or at least aspirational job that I see. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't always this way. Before the social media age, fitness influencers were a mix of celebrities who parlayed their existing fame into workout videos um, and people who were primarily famous for either losing a bunch of weight or writing a best-selling exercise book. I'm talking about people like Richard Simmons, right? That's an early fitness influencer mm-hmm. by most of our standards, right? Um, sure. He's a good example of kind of the former. He was he was fa- famous, I believe, just because he lost a bunch of weight and then made videos teaching other people how to do it. Um, another early fitness influencer influencer was a running guru named Jim Fix, um, who stand-up comedians in the 90s loved to joke about because he died after a run. Um, Now, perhaps the most toxic health influencer um, in the modern canon is Oprah Winfrey, uh, who we have talked about a number of the scams that she's perpetuated, but Dr. Mm -hmm. Phil and Dr. Oz would probably be top about that. Now, if anyone currently gives Oprah a run for her money, it's probably Joe Rogan, a man who I'm certain if you asked him what he considers himself, he would would not say anything that sounds like health influencer, but that's also like a huge part of what he does and what his fame and popularity comes from. Is, is it? People... I've not listened to a single second of 
anything yeah. he's ever what is he, it joe rogan experience Pass. yeah the joe rogan experience he gives a lot of advice i mean I, I don't think he even frames it as advice but like he talks about what he does in terms of like here's what i'm doing for covid you know i'm not gonna get vaccinated yada 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 like mm-hmm. I'll, I, I'll i'm taking the ivermectin or whatever um <sighs> he gives a lot of life and he has a lot of people on his show who give like diet and lifestyle advice so it's not just him but he'll have like jordan peterson on to talk oh, about okay. his all meat diet um <laughs> whether or not joe can considers not himself one that is real rogan <laughs> is a, a a major he, like health influencer like okay. maybe even the biggest currently because uh-huh. oprah's kind of faded a bit in influence next to joe rogan at the mm. at this moment mm-hmm. um and obviously uh, both joe and oprah are ridiculously wealthy people uh there mm-hmm. are billions to be made in looking healthy um and some people think joe rogan looks healthy i I can't explain that to you, Caitlin, but they do. Um, uh-huh. And then promising to teach people the secrets to be like you. Uh, the best of these people create little bitty cults uh, so tight and consistent with their disinformation that no light or truth can escape. And today we're talking about the guy who invented that kind of thing. The guy who is the foundation for both Joe Rogan and Oprah Winfrey and a million lesser health gods, all mm-hmm. spewing misinformation into the plague racked ether. Um, and this guy, this motherfucker, is a dude named Bernard McFadden. Mm-hmm. Now that's a weird name, Bernard. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to it, shame any all the Bernard. No, Bernards you should. He there. chose it. He you you he chose it. He's the he only Bernard there's ever fucking been. Okay. <laughs> it is okay to shame someone for choosing a stupid name um, <laughs> because he was born Bernard. Like the 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 actual the name, name that we are familiar yeah, with, the, yes. like the real name Bernard <laughs> Adolphus McFadden on August sixteenth, eighteen sixty eight, in Millspring, Missouri. Now, okay. Millspring was a tiny little shit town without much going for it, and young Bernard <laughs> came into a family who also didn't have a lot going for them. His dad was an alcoholic in an era in which you weren't legally an alcoholic until you drank yourself completely to death. Now, Papa McFadden had fought in the Union Army during the Civil War. So when I say he's an alcoholic, I have some sympathy for the man. He's probably an alcoholic because he's like lived through he nightmares incomprehensible to modern men. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and by the time he started his family, I think it's probably accurate to say he was basically just a broken shell of a man. Mm-hmm. Um The biography I found of Bernard says that his dad was happy only hunting deer and drinking himself to death and betting on horse races. Um, The few times he was sober, he was apparently nice to his family, but he was not sober often. um, And he did not seem to take much pleasure in his children, including young Bernard. Uh, Mostly, he would physically abuse his wife and his children when he came home drunk as hell. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a bad home environment. Mm Um, since all of the family money went to uh, hard liquor and gambling, the McFaddens barely survived on, you know, the, during the, the best of times when, mm-hmm. when dad was alive. When Bernard was still a little kid, his mother decided she'd had enough, which is not a common thing. You do not see a lot of women who are able to do this in this period of time, like the fucking sure. 1870s, early 1870s. And she picks up her son and her two young daughters and she flees her husband in their home to stay with her family. Um, Papa McFadden comes by a couple of times, tries to get them back and she doesn't take him back. She doesn't agree to it because he's hmm. 
a ruinous drunk. And sure enough, uh, less than a year after she leaves him, when Bernard is four, uh, his dad dies from alcohol abuse. Um, okay. Just like drinks himself to death. Mm-hmm. It was not common for women to get divorced in the late 1800s. And I, I don't think this was a divorce. I think she just was like, I'm not going to keep my kids around this fucking maniac. Sure. Um, so good for her. It is a mark of what a strong woman that Bernard's mother was that she managed to do this. And she got her children free and clear from a bad situation. Unfortunately, she was not able to bring them to a good situation. Um, mm-hmm. This is not like a, she doesn't like take them into a, a I mean, I guess you, it, maybe it's better. We'll, we'll ask that question later, Caitlin. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, because they were dirt poor. Um, and she was also dying this entire time. She was basically oh. sick from tuberculosis all of Bernard's early life. And she can't really make any money, can't really feed her family. Uh, and her, her relatives are not very helpful because they're all kind of ba- barely hanging on by a thread. Bernard's biographer, Mark Adams, describes him as a mama's boy, which makes sense. Obviously, he's going to be dedicated to his mom growing up in this kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad certainly did not give him a lot to aspire to emulate. Uh, Bernard was also a sickly boy with poor health, much like his mother. He was smaller than many of the other local boys, and he was regularly beaten up and dunked in a river by other kids. At uh... age seven, uh, yeah, cool. he's he's a victim of bull. He's got to he's got to have a lot of sympathy for this oh, kid. This is we hear about some rough upbringings on Behind the Bastards, but this is a tough one. Said, <laughs> this is a, said dunked in the like that's freezing cold yeah. gross water. That sucks. Yeah, because this is like you know not a nice not a nice part of the world, right. Missouri. Um, uh, I wouldn't say a blasted hellscape, but a hellscape for sure. Mm. Now. At age seven, Bernard was vaccinated for smallpox. That seems like a good thing, right? Today, I mean, as, mm-hmm. as, as a rule, big fans of the smallpox, vac- big fans of vaccines in general. However, yeah, sure. in the 1870s, vaccines were not quite what they are today. Today, wait a minute. A bad vaccine experience for the vast majority of people means like, yeah, I felt like kind of shitty for a day, right? Like you get mm-hmm. the COVID vaccine. A lot of people are like, yeah, I felt like I kind of had a flu for like a day. Right. Um, vaccines were different back then. So the best way of vaccinating people against smallpox at the time, it was not like a nice clean shot. You would cut their arm open with a razor blade and you would shove a scab from someone else's smallpox lesion into the wound. Mm -hmm. Um, And this works. This does in fact confer immunity to smallpox at the low, low cost of killing a significant percentage of the people vaccinated in this manner. Not as many as smallpox did. It's an improvement, but a lot of people die from this early vaccine because you're just shoving a scab scab into an open wound (laughs) and it gives you smallpox for several of those people i imagine it is supposed to give you a weakened case of smallpox that then gives you an immunity however i none of us here are doctors but i think we all can understand that if you shove a filthy scab into an open wound (laughs) you can get sick like other than the the way you're supposed to get sick Mm -hmm. and in bernard's case he gets blood poisoning which keeps him bedridden for six months oh no bernard (laughs) yeah it's it's fucking horrible (laughs) this poor kid and he's how old at this point Oh, he's like six. Oh, poor kid. He is. This is probably sure his earliest later, memory. <laughs> I mean, this is probably like his earliest memory is mm-hmm. like spending six months dying in bed because a fucking maniac Blood doctor poison. shoves a scab oh. into his open wound. 
Uh, with like a probably rusty knife. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, sanitization. I mean, the, the doctors were arguing strenuously about whether or not washing your hands was like the devil's play mm. thing or something. <laughs> like it was not a great time for science. <laughs> and to make it much worse, Caitlin, not long after he recovers, this happens. And I'm going to quote from the biography, Mr. America, which is about Bernard McFadden. One morning, not long after Bernard had recovered, his mother took him to St. Louis. So already we're on a bad start here. They were met at the Mississippi River docks by a strange gentleman. Mary explained to her son that the man was going to take him away on a steamship. She did not mention a return trip. Long after the boy had grown up and reinvented himself as Bernard McFadden, he recalled the resulting scene as being torn, screaming and clawing and kicking in a frantic agony of fear from his mother's arms. The man managed to pull Bernard from Mary and lead him towards the wharf. But the boy broke free and ran back to his mother, tears running down his face. Mary told her eight-year-old son the cold truth. Hopeless and nearly destitute, wasting away from late-stage tuberculosis, she no longer had the energy or means to care for a growing boy. She was sending him off to the cheapest boarding school she could find. Aww. So she, and again, I don't, I can't put any blame on her. She's in an impossible situation. She's trying sure. to, be, she wants her kid to have someone to take care of them. She's like, I am dying and I cannot mm. provide you with food. Like yeah. this is the best option that is available to me. And it's a shit option because this school is a horrible place. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, this, this is a school that would qualify as a war crime. There are concentration camps that were nicer than this school. You know, are we going like, to hear more about this school? Or? Yeah, it was officially an orphanage. Um, Bernard mm -hmm. called it the, the starvation school. Uh, he was of the opinion as an adult that the orphans in Oliver Twist had it easy compared to him. Uh, children were barely fed. The only calories they could reliably get came in the form of peanuts, which at the time, peanut butter hasn't been like created yet. So at the mm -hmm. time, peanuts are basically trash and are being sold as hog feed for a dollar a ton. Um, so that's that's uh -huh. what the kids get and not much of that. Mm -hmm. So after several months of slowly starving to death, Bernard's mother came for him. Uh, she'd managed to find like get in contact. It's hard to get in contact with family, right? You may know like, well, I've got relatives in this state, but like mm -hmm. you haven't seen him in years. It takes six months to fucking get anywhere. Right. So she manages with like the last strength in her body um, to find some relatives who are willing to take Bernard's sisters who she keeps with her. Um, okay. And then she comes back for him because she's figured out a better solution for him. Um, she knows she's close to death at this point. She's kind of scrambling to get all of her children set up as well as her limited resources would allow. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she was not great at this, although arguably you could again say this is like an impossible task. And the person sure. that she places Bernard with after this orphanage was an extremely distant relative who saw him more as cheap labor than a human being. But it's a step up from the starvation school. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I suppose so. so. <laughs> yeah, that's better. That's we're doing fine. We're doing fine. And uh, you know who else is doing fine? Hmm. Caitlin. Who? The products and services that support this podcast. I knew that was gonna happen. They're nailing it. They're doing great, Caitlin. They're doing great, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, here's ads. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if people have learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You think... What's the catch? But there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new 3-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com/behind. That's mintmobile.com/behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/behind. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer, check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com, that's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. We're back, and I'm I'm just basking in the glow of pride that I didn't say. You know who else doesn't starve children? Uh, Robert, I was just going to commend <laughs> you on how pure and not horrible that mm-hmm. ad break was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's going <laughs> to keep us in it. house and home for another week, Sophie. <sighs> so, this relative and his wife, the 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 family that Bernard is placed with, and again, distant family, uh, run a hotel near Chicago. When Bernard met them, he was overwhelmed by the fact that they were fat, which is. He had not like, well, because number one, it's harder to be fat back then. Um, number mm-hmm. two, he has spent his entire childhood starving. 
um, and his family's been starving. Not enough food ever. So the fact that he when he just assumes anyone fat is rich as shit, right? Like he he almost couldn't comprehend the idea that people could be fat. Like he recalls this as being like baffling to him. Mm-hmm. This couple set Bernard to working long hours staffing their hotel. They fed him, but that was about all they did for him. One day, a few months into his time with them, the man he was staying with like told him offhandedly, hey, your mom died. Um, mm-hmm. And then the hotel owner's wife said, uh, this one's going the same way. She says this to her husband. This one's going the same about way. He's Bernard? got all the, Yeah. <laughs> he's got all the symptoms. Consumption runs in the family. Like, hey, mom, hey, kid, your dad di- or your, hey, kid, your mom died. And then the lady's like, yeah, it looks like this motherfucker's going to drop pretty soon, too. <laughs> <laughs> Again, bleak childhood. <laughs> Truly, yes. I would argue not really a childhood. <laughs> No. Mm-mm. Oh, it's just it's just one torturous yeah. situation yeah. after another. Pretty horrible situation. Out of spite for his relatives as much as anything, Bernard decided then and there that he would become the healthiest man alive. Now, Consumption today, when people talk about someone having consumption, generally they are referring to tuberculosis or TB. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also worth noting that like everyone that people said had consumption didn't actually have tuberculosis because medicine was shit and people got sick in a variety of ways that made them like thin and, and kind of in bad health. And mm-hmm. everyone was just like, ah, oh, that person's like thin and, and pale and sickly. It's got to be tuberculosis. And sometimes it was like, no, they're not, they're eating like, they're not getting nutrients. They're like, basically have been starved their entire life of necessary foodstuffs right. or whatever. Like they have, I don't know, a parasite or something. Like mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things that can make someone in the 1860s, 70s say like, oh, it's got to be this, the, the consumption. I was like, no, you I never imagine fed basically them. <laughs> everything was misdiagnosed back then. <laughs> They get some things right, but yeah, a lot of, I mean, I don't think he had TB because he cures himself with like diet and exercise later. So, which I don't think works with TB. I think he was just horribly malnourished because he grew up unbelievably poor. (laughs) Right. Um, After a time with the hotel, Bernard was moved to a farm in northern Illinois. Uh, And these are, again, like family members who treat him as labor with no thought to his emotional health or education. To the extent that he was ever educated at all in his childhood, it was like he was occasionally sent to school for a day here and a day there because the truant officers were in town and like he needed to like. Mm. not get them in trouble. Um, Still, the fresh air and the manual labor of farm life did him wonders. He starts putting on muscle for the first time. He stops showing what people consider to be symptoms of consumption. Like as soon as he gets out in the fresh air, working with his body and eating a decent diet, he has a high, a diet high in dairy. So he's finally getting a lot of protein for the first time Mm -hmm. in his life. Mm -hmm. He's immediately in much better health because again, he didn't have consumption he was just horribly he was just starving to death eating peanuts (laughs) wait is that where that phrase comes from or that expression where like if you like work for hardly any money you're like oh i'm just getting peanuts or whatever the actual expression is i mean that would make sense right because it used to be like literally the cheapest food you could possibly Hmm. get yeah wow that would be my guess um i don't know uh so (laughs) let's say that it is let's say that it is During his time at the farm, Bernard began to learn the lessons that would become the center of his health philosophy. Outdoor labor, along with a sparse diet consisting mostly of vegetables and milk, was the key to health, which is not bad health advice. If you spend a lot of time working around outside using your body, 
vegetables, milk, avoid red meat, which is a thing like he doesn't, he's not really a big fan of meat. Like that's not bad diet advice. Most people will do all right on that kind of a diet. Um, This merged with his unfortunately well-earned hatred of vaccines, which is understandable. We're not talking about like modern anti-vax shit. If you have Bernard's childhood, I get why you'd be (laughs) anti-vaccine. When you were like bedridden for six months because you had blood poisoning because someone gave you a bad smallpox vaccine in the yep. 1870s. Yep. Yeah, I Makes understand. Sense to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not really being anti-science. Like it's it is anti-science, but like I can't blame But also you. the vaccines were anti-science back then. They weren't I mean the, the sad I thing mean, is they were for, yeah. better, right, than smallpox cuz smallpox is a fucking nightmare, but Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, <laughs> Caitlin. It's I mean <laughs> I, I think most of us would be anti anything that kept us bedridden for six months. Yeah, I think I would be. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd probably not be supportive of that thing. Um, another pillar of his growing philosophy came when, after a particularly bleak church lecture, he sh- he stole some of the farmer he was living some of this farmer's whiskey and a bunch of chewing tobacco, and he basically he has like this church lecture where they're like everybody's going to hell, and he gets sad, so he steals a bunch of liquor and chewing tobacco, and he gets just wrecked. And he's he is twelve at this. He point. He just goes on a bender. Wait, he's twelve. Yeah. yeah he's He's 12, a hard 12. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bernard. (laughs) Yeah, he gets he gets wrecked. And this is um, probably the last time he ever gets wrecked because he wakes up in the morning with a horrible hangover. You know, Mm. you know, those tobacco and and hard liquor hangovers. (laughs) I went to college. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) Those are not pleasant uh, for you or anyone around you. Mm-mm. Um so he uh he he's he's he decides based on this hangover to spend the rest of his life sober. Um which I have decided on a number of occasions it never stuck with me but it does for him. <laughs> Same. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm never drinking again. That's my I've, last I've time made drinking. Horrible choices, but then, you know, 2 weeks yeah. later, yeah. I'm having a then glass of like, wine. You know what? I would like a hurricane at 9 in the morning. <laughs> No, you wouldn't. Sophie, when, when do you drink hurricanes? Not at nine in the morning. First, that's, of all, that's, first of all, you wouldn't be awake. Not if I'm drinking enough hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sophie, you're going to have to bribe Robert for like these early yeah. recordings with yeah. hurricanes. Yeah, deliver hurricanes to my house and I will wake up as early as 11.30. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that, that was a lie. lie. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so shortly after this, um, Bernard, you know, he loves the, the farm labor. He loves the outdoor life. But he's also, he's he grows up with a lot of pride Um, which is, you have to say, impressive for a kid whose upbringing is so comprehensively bleak. Mm -hmm. And despite loving the lifestyle, he's enraged at the fact that he's not getting paid much money. He thinks he's worth more money than he's getting. Mm -hmm. So shortly after this, he leaves like the the countryside for the big city, which in this case was unfortunately St. Louis. Um, he got <laughs> Why it, do you yeah. hate St. Louis? I well, I was born so there much. for one thing, so I get okay, to. Okay, yeah. fair, fine. So, <laughs> 
He gets a job with yet another uncle, and this one runs a dry goods store. Bernard earned $12 a month to help keep the books and manage the store. He was promoted after a year, and he made pretty good money for a teenage boy at the time. But the work kept him indoors and huddled over a desk at all times. So he's just experienced what he considers to be the joys of being physically fit, of laboring with his body. And then he gets stuck inside a dank office all day, every day, and he goes mm-hmm. kind of stir crazy. And his his health issues return, right? Because he thinks it's his consumption coming back. The reality is that like, yeah, you shouldn't sit inside a desk all day and, mm-hmm. and not go outside. It's 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 bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's not good for anybody. Um, <laughs> and also, you are 13. You should not be working a desk job for 60 hours a week. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good for you. Um so, yeah, he, his health issues return and he's desperate. He winds up stumbling through the city one day until he happens upon a gym. Now, at the time, gyms are a pretty new concept, right? This is like I'm not all that. they exist at all. Yeah, and- they did. They did. <laughs> um, they actually started earlier than you might think. The Young Men's Christian Association or the YMCA had been mm-hmm. founded in England a couple of decades earlier in 1844. Um, and it had been founded to push back against the unhealthy conditions caused by the switch from pastoral farming lives to industrial work and desk work by men in dense cities. Mm-hmm. So. The actual origin of gym culture comes out of the same stuff that Bernard is experiencing, moving from farming, which is, I don't know, there's a lot of things that can be unhealthy about some of like the different motions of farming. But as a general rule, moving around outside, using your body, the fresh air, Mm -hmm. pretty good uh, people who grow up farming tend to be healthier than people who grow up in dank industrial cesspits like every city in the in the mid 1800s right um and that's that's where the ymca comes out of is people recognizing not knowing much about health yet but people recognizing like this seems bad for us Uh (laughs) seems like this is killing everybody huh Uh, they're connecting the dots no all the 12 year olds have lung cancer we might need to do something about this (laughs) um so the why christian men yeah good for those young Christian men. Um, the Y and other groups like it uh, had noticed not just the deleterious effects of industrial life on people, but that disease spread rampantly in cramped urban environments, right? Like it's a great place for bacteria and viruses to propagate. Mm-hmm. And these guys came to believe that physical exercise could prevent disease, which is not correct in the way they thought it was. But it's also not wrong, right? Like, if you exercise, your immune system will be stronger, which does render you less vulnerable to all of the horrible diseases that riddle a stink-drenched filth pit like England or (laughs) St. Louis. Um, So... Mm -hmm. Religion gets heavily bound up in all of this, as it was with everything else in those days. And the YMCA isn't just like standing for people being healthier. It's part of an intellectual movement that became known as muscular Christianity. Um, What? I know, right? Well, I mean, you just think about those ripped Jesuses on the wall with like their fucking abs and delts that don't quit. I mean, if you're holding yourself up on a cross, your delts are going to be pretty... Mm-hmm. pretty shredded you know which are the delts are those like your arm yeah it's the like, arm. like sh- mm-hmm. back shoulder area yeah 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 yeah, yeah baby mm-hmm. <sighs> so i'm gonna read a quote from the guardian about what muscular christianity was please 
The muscular Christians strongly believed in the formative power of athletic competition, that by participating in games and sports, young men would be instilled with positive character traits. The muscular Christians had particular concerns that America's men were becoming soft and thus placed higher value on games that created a few bruises in the process. In 1868, a year before Rutgers beat Princeton in the first ever college football contest, one American muscular Christian wrote, There is a precise discipline in danger. I consider no man educated who is not educated to meet danger, grapple with it, and conquer it. And any system of gymnastics which leaves out danger is an emasculated system. <laughs> and the context of the, this article is about there was like one year where like a, a shit like like teams worth of people died in a single football season because they didn't wear any kind of they were just murdering each other out on the gridiron <laughs> like that was football. It was just like, yeah, let's go watch some kids kill each other. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so hang on. I have some thoughts. There yeah. seems to be a lot of toxic masculinity wrapped up in this. Cause they were just in like, the 1800s? To... <laughs> like even more than you'd expect. Well, maybe yeah. not more than you'd expect, but the fact they're just like, we need to be violent toward each other because mm -hmm. if we're not, that's emasculating and we need to beat the shit out of each other or otherwise we're little girls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the attitude is very much, it's not really proper, not necessarily not proper exercise, but certainly not a proper sport if you can't die doing it. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. Yes. Which is my attitude towards a good party. You know what? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah. No. All joy carries with it the risk of death. This is, this is what we're cursed to know. If I, if, if the stakes aren't high, I'm not having fun. Yeah, exactly. You know? Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why drunk driving has such a proud cultural tradition. <laughs> oh, now, while no. all this is happening, the actual science of fitness is also starting to grow. People are beginning to learn how to be physically fit. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, they're starting to, right? There's, I mean, today there's more misinformation than good misinformation about fitness. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's even messier back then. Now, for centuries, physicians had advised months of bed rest and indoor isolation for people who got sick. Like, if you were sick, they would say, well, you need to hide in a room alone. Like, mm -hmm. don't go outside. Stay in this, like, quiet, dark, dank room and never leave for years. <laughs> um, which you might recognize as bad for people. <laughs> <Yeah>. Look, <sighs> I've seen The Secret Garden, and I know that that's not how that works. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think A Secret Garden is good for people. Um, especially well, if you're talking about like a gorilla grow and you're you're illegally growing <laughs> marijuana in like public land, great for your health. That's so Spend good. a lot of time well, running. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's about a little sickly boy who's mm -hmm. just like kept away in isolation, and then the little girl, like a cousin of his, comes mm -hmm. and like finds him, and then she's like, "By the way, I found this secret garden mm -hmm. outside your house. Let's go to it." And he's like, "I can't. The spores will kill me." And mm -hmm. she's like, "No, it'll be good for you." And then he gets really healthy, and then he's he like he's great. Because he goes yep. outside and enjoys the garden. Because it's good to go outside. Because we were, <laughs> we're supposed to be outside a lot of the time. Otherwise, we die. Um, so, yeah, in the last 20 or so years of the 19th century, doctors slowly start to and not evenly start to realize that, like, oh, it's good to move your body. People are less likely to die when they regularly move their bodies. Mm. Um, this actually makes a lot of health problems better, like having people go out and bicycle. Like stops them from getting horribly sick sometimes. Mm. And I'm going to quote from the book Mr. America here. 
Though Americans had a history of importing fitness fads from the continent, Ben Franklin wrote in 1786 that he'd reached a ripe old age because I live temperately, drink no wine, and use daily exercise of the dumbbell. It was not until the United States was well into its own industrial revolution that its first homegrown fitness guru emerged. He was Diocletian Lewis. Fucking incredible names back then. Diocletian Diocletian Lewis. I think Diocletian was a Roman emperor. He was Diocletian Lewis, a Harvard University physical education instructor. In September 1860, Harper's Weekly magazine hailed him as the genius behind the country's athletic revival. His enemies were stress and inactivity, and his weapon was exercise. The newly formed classes of desk-bound office clerks and the expanding ranks of housebound urban mothers were stockpiling nervous energy in their pale, untaxed bodies, like pressure building in a Fulton steam engine. In 1869, the physician George Beard gave this malaise the name neurasthenia. It was also commonly known as exhaustion. Americans were warned to beware its symptoms, insomnia, anxiety, headaches. And that's, again, they don't understand the reason behind it, but that's good, Mm -hmm. basically accurate. That like, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you spend all day stuck inside, not moving your body, you feel like shit. (laughs) It is is bad for you. (laughs) Right. Um, It's good to get outside and move around. Um, So that's kind of how that all begins as a broad cultural understanding. And after Diocletian Lewis came another Harvard man, Dudley Allen Sargent, who coined the term preventative medicine. He's like the first guy to be like, what if we stopped people from getting sick? Wouldn't that be based? Mm -hmm. Um, And he devised the first pulley weight machines in exercise history. So like the origins of all the machines, like not like free weights, but the different machines at your gym these days or whatever. Like he's, he's the guy who figures out like the first of those. And Sargent is generally recognized as the father of physical education, which in some ways makes him the worst bastard we've ever discussed on this show because he is the origin of PE as a concept. Um, Oh, did you not have a good time in gym class, Robert? Did anyone? (laughs) (laughs) Was that a good time Um, for anybody? I had a great time. I loved uh, getting changed in front of other people in the middle yeah. of the school day. That was the you best know. part. I somehow <laughs> scammed my way into being the assistant who counts the laps on lap day in the seventh grade. So I oh, didn't have a lot great. of friends, but I didn't have to run lap day. Hmm. I had a friend who died in PE. Oh, PE really? is bad. Oh yeah, yeah. We yeah. Like he had like a heart problem. He'd been like... He, he had he had been exempt from P.E. for years. And then for whatever reason, they decided he was better and he could he, sh- he had to do P.E. And then he dropped dead during a run. That's uh, horrible. Was pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up. Um, so, you know, whatever. Uh, gym class. Sad. <laughs> So, at any rate, by the last 20 or so years of the 1800s, you have a few different distinct strands of physical culture coming together. You see, these are all, like, different, but they're all kind of interrelated. You've got these muscular Christians talking about, like, the way the idea that sport and fitness improves moral character, right? That, like, God wants you to take care of your body because it's mm-hmm. his body and, like, this is part of, like, being a good Christian. You have the more humanistic, secular val- values of Diocletian Lewis, who sees activity as an antidote to um sedentary industrial life. And then you've got Sargent, who's 
whose values are kind of the, the father of PE, whose values are starting to verge on eugenics, right? Um, mm -hmm. The basic idea is like, okay, look at technology, colonialism, and history. It's obvious that people are improving, right? That's how these people think, white people in this period. Like, oh, people are obviously better than we were before because we used to be savages. Um, mm -hmm. Like the people who I still consider to be savages, who's everyone who isn't white and lives in a city. Um, and so his idea is that like, if you can improve people through exercise, if it makes people better, then if you can force societies to exercise at scale you can improve the human race right mm -hmm. which is and again exercise is good i would argue this is not a healthy way to think of exercise <laughs> no especially because like that has evolved into like modern day a lot of like modern day ableism which yes. is like a huge problem with the like wellness movement that exists now and i mean yeah yeah it, it, it is a problem and it's one of those things like when i talk about it is good to move around it is good to exercise there are people who who don't have that option mm. and that that's that requires them to do additional things in order to stay healthy because like you do like your body needs a certain amount of exertion in order to 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 do to do mm -hmm. its best and it's right. it's difficult um but you're starting to see i mean obviously these people being who they are there's a lot of moral value attached to being able to exercise in in the way that they think is best right um and that there's a lot of problematic shit <laughs> as there is still today as you just noted right 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 but you know what's not problematic caitlin uh the goods and services the products insert the goods are incredibly problematic oh my god do not do not check sorry. out the, like I'm fucked so, up i'm Caitlin. so sorry fucked I meant up the products yeah the products services. are fine products are golden unless it unless it's uh yeah you know one of the not good ones that we didn't approve that slipped yeah that we hate. yeah like if it's mm. like if it's chevron or black rifle coffee or black rifle coffee uh. But do, if, if you get an XE ad, I, I do recommend hiring XE for all of your mercenary needs. Look, they're monsters, but if you need a bunch of men who won't ask questions to kill people for you, you've got to go with XE. This has been a paid advertisement for what used to be Blackwater. Here's the rest of the ads. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof you can sit back enjoy the wide open views with your whole family plus both rav4s and highlanders are available in hybrid models so no matter your style you can drive efficiently and save on gas so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on ravs highlanders and more when you visit BioToyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ah, oh, we're back. Caitlin, mm. have mm. you ever paid a man to kill anyone? <laughs> I really haven't. No. Okay. Well, I guess podcasting's different for everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> the idea of fitness and kind of a, and again, this is like, I don't know if, the, if there was no coined eugenics thinking at this time. Eugenics isn't really like a popular thing yet in 1879, like, mm-hmm. but the precursors of it, like people are starting to have the ideas that will feed into the eugenics movement that dominates the early part of the 20th century. Sure. And the, the kind this kind of like fitness as proto eugenics, one of the people who takes it on is a guy named William Blakey. Now in 1879, Blakey writes a book titled how to get strong and how to stay. So, which is, not a bad title for an exercise book. Okay, yeah. Blakey was an endurance athlete with a Darwinian attitude towards fitness. His book included much of the same sort of exercise advice that Sargent gave, mixed with appeals to patriotism. So you could see where, like, the eugenics nature of this is like, uh, this is, we need to make a nation strong, you know, mm-hmm. the unsettling stuff. Early on, yep. he makes sure to compare American youth to British youth, who he claims are in much better shape, capable of running miles without breaking a sweat. Quote, let him who thinks that the average American boy would have fared as well as these British kids go down to the public bathhouse and look carefully at a hundred or so of them as they tumble about in the water. He will see more big heads and slim necks, more poor legs and skinny arms and lanky half-built bodies than he would ever have imagined the whole neighborhood could produce. So he's like, go look at a bunch of naked kids and tell me how weird they are. Very creepy. (laughs) Yeah, that's not great. That's not great. So this has been a long digression, but I think the background's necessary. So when we left off our man Bernard, right, he's feeling like shit. He's working indoors all day and he starts like walking about, like looking for uh, a way to deal with his health problems. And he Mm -hmm. comes across a gymnasium. This is in 1883. He is 15 years old and he sees his first gym and he sees a bunch of dudes working out. And again, health is shit 
in the 1880s, right? Most people mm-hmm. are dying from the time they're like four. This is his first time seeing healthy people. <laughs> like he sees uh-huh. people who have like muscle and I, but not just because they're at a gym, but because it's expensive to go to the gym. They, uh-huh. They're wealthy. So they're able to feed themselves well. And they're of the fairly small number of people at that point who are working out regularly. So he sees these people, even the least of them looks like an Adonis to him. And he's just mm-hmm. immediately like, this is what I want to do with my life. I, I, I need to have this in my life. But the entry fee to get started at the gym is $15, which is more than he makes in a month. So he Mm -hmm. cannot afford to join a gym. Um, But just kind of hanging out around the gym, he acquires a copy of How to Get Strong and Stay So. uh, And he manages to find some used weights, some barbells that he Mm -hmm. can afford. So he buys some weights. He buys this book. He goes home and he works out for the first time in his room. He later wrote, thereafter, I had but one object in view. I would not be satisfied until I was a strong man. You know, at this point, strong man is like, that's like a thing, right? Like, because exercise is so new, when guys, the first time guys figured out how to lift big weights, it's like, (laughs) like you show up like, look at that guy, he can lift a bunch of weights. Uh, Okay, so. (laughs) He's not filled with rickets like the rest of us. So Bernard just like sees all these like fit Mm -hmm. dudes who Mm -hmm. basically no one else looks like because no one else has like the resources to do it. Right. And then he's like, my light, my calling is to be a gym bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. (laughs) I mean, it might be hard not to because he's basically seeing people who are living close to the way the like normalish people in the 20th century were able to live because they have better diet because they have a mm-hmm. basic understanding of exercise mm-hmm. and he's living in an era in which like if you only had a couple of parasites you're doing great um, right. <laughs> right so you get why he might be like he would be like oh my god this seems so much better than my miserable starving life of disease and death sure um I don't I have a lot of sympathy for him wanting to be a gym bro I guess is what I'm saying yes it's not like I don't think I'm sure I know vanity is wrapped up in this because he becomes a very vain man but it's not just vanity it's just like oh my god I don't have to be sick all my life sure that that's a that is a a motivation that is understandable yeah yeah um so uh bernard exercises with these dumbbells and he comes up with other solutions he finds a 10 pound lead bar and he wraps it in newspaper and he just stuffs it into his shirt every day and goes walking for miles um when he comes home at night he'll just like set the bar down next to everyone else's coat um his family thinks that he starts to think that he's mentally ill because like nobody like exercise is not commonly talked about so like what the fuck is wrong with this kid why is he carrying a bar around in his shirt also it's lead can you get lead poisoning that way i don't know yeah i mean it's not this is this is probably not great for him but also probably not the worst poisoning he's getting (laughs) he did have (laughs) blood poisoning he's had a lot of poisoning (laughs) at this point everybody was poisoned with a couple of things in those days right if you could have given somebody an asbestos milkshake it would have made them healthier um (laughs) not a great time Mm -mm. so Exercise profoundly agrees with Bernard, and he gets in a lot better shape. His health problems go away. Um, He starts looking good, and he sets out into the world again with a new lease on life. And I'm going to quote from a 1981 article in American Heritage Magazine now. 
He became a hobo of sorts, riding the rails, descending on more of his numerous relations, and working as a waterboy for a construction gang, as a dentist's assistant, a woodchopper, and, in the tradition of Franklin and Twain, a printer's devil. That's like the assistant of a printer. I don't know why they called it a devil. (laughs) Toward the end of the period, while toiling in a coal mine, Bernard had one of those moments of revelation that dot his recollections. He suddenly saw that his mission in life was to preach the gospel of health. He got busy, returning to St. Louis. He saved enough money to join a real gymnasium, got acquainted with books like William Blakey's How to Get Strong, and eventually rented a studio and hung out a sign that said, Bernard McFadden, kinestherapist, teacher of higher physical culture. As to his change of name, he later explained, the picturesque appealed to me. I wanted something out of the ordinary. As to the origin of the word kinestherapist, he admitted to having no idea. So he makes up both a name, Bernard, which I've I've heard one allegation. There's like he th- it sounded like a lion's roar to him, so he th- he thinks it sounds stronger okay. than Bernard. Bernard, <laughs> it's very funny. Uh-huh. Um, and Kenneth's therapy is like, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Like I just felt like that that like I just wanted to make up a. You could just do that, right? Like, well, that there's almost, no, yeah, that sounds like it doesn't sound unlike. No, it's kinesiology. It, You're it's like, not. Can, right. It, it makes sense because like kinesis, I think, is just basically movement therapy, right. like movement therapist. That yeah. is like what a personal trainer at, at its best should be. Right. Um, so it's not like he's he's not again. He's not like snake oily at this point. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's actually selling something real. Now, nobody has a great understanding of like what's actually good for you and what's actually bad for what exercises may do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. But that's not his fault. That's just like we're just now figuring this stuff out. <laughs> Um, but his basic premises at this point are like, I'm going to help people move their bodies and lift heavier things until they get stronger, which is a mm-hmm. broadly positive thing to do. Um, yeah. So kinestherapy may not have been an actual term, but it was a real enough thing. And Bernard was good at it. His studio did well in large part due to his undeniably brilliant slogan. Weakness is a crime. Don't be a criminal. What? <laughs> I fucking love that. <laughs> That's that is Everything about like fitness culture today too. Like it's that's that's CrossFit, right? Like that's all of it. It's so good. There's just like no he doesn't dress it up at all. That is so aggressive, and yet I imagine for a certain type of person who sees that type of marketing very effective. Yeah. He's very good. <laughs> like he he's he's very successful from an early stage at this. Um and he's again like he's he's grasping at the thing that all of these people will wind up basically saying they just mm. put a little bit more of a bow on it now. Sure. Bernard may have been the first personal trainer in history. Um, like it's kind of I get kind of depends on how you on how you uh, you define it. But he may have been like yeah. the first person to be like, my job is going to be to one on one train people how to be physically healthier through exercise. He might uh-huh. be the person who invented that entire field. Hmm. Um so he assert at the very least, he helped to invent the entire discipline. Sure. And this is going to happen a bunch. It is actually kind of boggling how many different career fields this guy either invents whole cloth or helps to invent. Huh. Um, he is a tremendously influential person. So uh, he <laughs> invents personal training, kind of. Uh, and in order to make extra cash, he works as a wrestling match organizer. He also experiments constantly with different health treatments, mostly this would mean periodically fasting and restricting his caloric intake to an extreme degree in order to lose weight while exercising constantly. Mm. 
he would regularly gain and then drop like 30 pounds. Um, I think he had an eating disorder. I'm actually certain he had an eating disorder. Huh. Um, because it, it, you hear about this regular, he has this obsession with total caloric restriction in order to drop weight very quickly. Yeah. Like he's purging, you know, I don't know that he binges, but he certainly purges. Okay. Um, not by puking, but like total caloric restriction, that's eating disorder stuff, right? Sure. Um, I mean, I've been there. As far as um, I know, yeah. Yeah. In his own writings, Bernard billed this as scientific experimentation. He wrote up his findings and submitted them to a wide variety of newspapers and magazines. His entire educational career at this point amounted to a handful of odd days at school to avoid truancy court. So he was not good at writing. Like he is barely like able to write. But he seemed to sense instinctively that writing was going to be crucial to his success. So while he's working as a personal trainer and as like a wrestling barker, he goes back to school. Um, in order to uh, learn how to write. And he takes a part-time job, a more formal part-time job to help with this at the Bunker Hill Military Academy as a PE coach. And it was here, working as an early PE coach, this is not a common job at the time, that Bernard would be struck by his greatest revelation. From Mr. America, quote, for simplicity's sake, Bernard had temporarily abandoned his two meals a day habit for three squares served at the academy. Near the end of the spring term, he felt the early symptoms of pneumonia coming on and immediately diagnosed his relative gluttony as the cause. Bernard had noticed that farm animals became well by abstaining from food when ill. He immediately cut his own intake back to a couple pieces of fruit per day. By the second day of fasting, his chest had begun to clear. By the fourth day, the inflammation had all but vanished. His fitness philosophy was starting to gel. Lots Lots of exercise, limited calories, non-traditional cures. So he's making a significant illogical leap here, which yeah. is that it is true. Sick animals stop eating. That's not because it helps them get better. It's because they might die. And they, as a general rule, the animals he's talking about are like herd animals. And mm -hmm. if you're a herd animal and you get sick, you want to stop eating because there's a good chance you'll die. And every calorie you eat while dying is calories that the rest of the animals in the herd don't get. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason why if you're slaughtering an animal like a sheep or something, um, a lot of them in chickens, it's the same way. There's a way to basically like if you position them properly, they kind of turn off. Like if you get them on their back and you get like a knee on their neck, like it's not like you're not like shoving mm -hmm. them super hard, but it's just kind of an instinct. And the idea is that like, oh, they've gotten caught by a predator. It's best if they just kind of let it happen so that the rest of the herd can get away. Like there's a oh. bunch of instincts like that in prey animals to where like, well, what's best is the, the, the what, what's best is not what's best for the individual. It's what's best for the herd. For and so okay. like, Oh, I, I'm dying of some disease. I'm going to stop eating so that everybody else stays fed. You know, I did not realize that was like an instinctive thing among certain yeah. animals. Hmm. Herd animals that do that kind of stuff. The herd does better, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, wow, community. I, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> he's very wrong about what's happening. Um, right. And I, it, you also, you listen, it's like, well, yeah, dude, most, like most people get sick once a year or so, at least, you know, at mm -hmm. some point. And it usually doesn't last four days. It's usually over in a day or two. So like, it wasn't the starving that got better. It's you waited four days and eventually stopped being sick. You just sick. started feeling better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he correlates the fact that he's starving himself because he likes to starve himself with the mm -hmm. fact that he gets better. Anyway, you know, it's unfortunate. This is the start of what will be a series of unfortunate logical leaps that Bernard makes. Okay. After a year at school, like as a PE teacher, and as he's also taking classes, so a year both teaching so and taking busy. classes. He's he's a dedicate. he is a fucking workaholic, you know? He, <laughs> he's, 
I think he's got this attitude. You do see this in a lot of people with backgrounds as difficult as his, where they're like, I survived childhood, like, and mm-hmm. I'm going to spend every second that I'm awake working hard on things because mm-hmm. like, I, I, I don't know. I think because like he's been that close to death, death was such a constant part of his childhood. I think maybe that that's for, and it's not just him. A lot of people who have this kind of an upbringing in this period become these like dynamos. And I think it's just because they can't stand to waste any time, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, there's no internet. Like you're not going to hang out on Twitter or anything. Like you got, like there's not literally nothing to do. (laughs) So what what else, what else are you going to have? Right. You got to take a bunch of classes and work as a coach and work as a personal trainer and learn how to write and starve yourself, starve yourself and work out constantly. Yeah. Yeah. After a year at school, he applied this new healthcare revelation to wrestling, and he used his ability to starve himself to train as a middle or heavyweight fighter. So he would he would get build up a bunch of muscle mass and and you know, he's a big guy, so he would be like a heavyweight, but then he would purge, stop eating for several days and lose 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um and then he would go fight wrestlers who were as heavy like who were like he would he would basically drop down to a lower weight class but with people who he was stronger than because he'd been training as a heavyweight, but he'd go oh. down to like a middleweight or something and he okay. would gamble on the outcome and win. Um, he was actually really good at this, huh. which is a wild scam to run. So he'd be like disproportionately more muscular and strong yeah. than them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a thing. Um, I, yeah. And I'm sure the fact that like nobody's that great at being healthy at this point makes it easier for him. Cause like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, he was briefly the most popular wrestler in the St. Louis area. His fame got him a fancy and well-paying job as a PE teacher at a better school, where he wrote his first novel, a near plagiarism of Jane Austen, based around a swole dude titled The Athlete. <laughs> I know, when you, well, when you so said funny. he wrote a novel, I was like, wait a minute. That, yeah. What? It, I didn't know he had aspiration. He was yeah, so creative. He, he, he takes Jane Austen and replaces, like, the lady protagonist with, like, a jack dude, and the <laughs> book is titled The Athlete's Conquest. So, again... Uh-huh. Let me, I mean, you can guess, you can guess what's in that book, right? <laughs> I can. So the book is terrible and no publisher will take it. So Bernard <laughs> self-publishes it. Um, mm. He's popular enough as a teacher that all of the kids at his school buy it and it does okay. Um, okay. In 1893, at age 25, Bernard moves to New York City. He's only 25 it, at this point? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a lot. Too much, some would say. Too much. So he moves to the Big Apple, and uh, his years of teaching PE and coaching people had convinced him that his brilliant health wisdom needed a bigger audience. It wasn't going to be enough to just work one-on-one or even just, like, teach a class of people at a time. He's got to reach the nation, you know? Mm. He, He decides, like, I've learned too much about starving myself and... Plagiarizing Jane Austen. With the world! (laughs) From American Heritage, quote, Almost immediately after leasing an apartment in New York, McFadden presented a physical culture matinee and invited the press. Um, A local newspaper accepted and reported that the professor, as McFadden was now calling himself, chatted and posed in an interesting way for over an hour. He's just like talking and like posing and showing off his muscles. So he's just kind of doing like spoken word, but mostly just like flexing. Yeah, he's fle- he's literally just like flexing and it's talking like a one to man a crowd. show where he's yeah. like, check these muscles out. That Look, a man so who's boring. not dying of goiters. <laughs> <laughs> Look at how unswollen his ankles are. Oh, and this had an audience. 
Yeah, yeah, it's People very came. popular. Oh a lot gosh. of a lot of journalists show up. Again, nothing is going on. Like there is <laughs> there is absolutely nothing happening in the world at this point. <laughs> so they are just <laughs> a fit man is talking in town. <laughs> Send the New York Times. <laughs> So McFadden's other passion was for his ideas. They had to do with the titanic benefits of exercise, the right foods and periodic fasts, and the extreme perils of, among other things, corsets, white bread, doctors, vaccination, overeating, and prudery. So these are the things as he's flexing. He's talking about like, corsets are bad for you. True. White bread is bad for you. Also true. Doctors are bad for you. Honestly, in this time, not Wrong. Vaccinations are bad for you. Not true, but understandable that it's wrong. Overeating is bad for you. Accurate. And it's bad to be a prude. And what he's meaning about this is that, like, the human body is incredibly, like, verboten at this point, right? Like, you don't, like, even in, like, health textbooks, it's it's considered kind of risque to show the naked human form. And he's like, no, people should look at naked human bodies. Like, if you want to see how you're supposed to exercise, you should have, like, a guy who's mostly naked on there lifting stuff so you can see how his body's moving. And, like, hmm. um, he's a big believer in the the human, in the, the nudity as, like, not being a, a sinful a thing. A shameful and, thing. Okay. Yeah, which is also good, right? Yeah. Like, that's good. That's, <laughs> I love nudity. I, yeah. Yeah. Big fan. So the physical culture of matinee was probably McFadden's first step as a proper fitness influencer. Now that he wasn't teaching people how to exercise, he was giving populations sweeping healthcare advice based on his own ideas and opinions. And again, these are not all or even mostly bad at this point. Corsets mm. are... They're not as bad. Like, uh, I think there's been a lot of like, oh, they were making people like constantly draw. Like, I, I, I know people who are like way into corsets and there's plenty of ways to do it where it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, white bread, though, is like is, is trash. Like, it's fine if you enjoy it, but it's not mm-hmm. there's not a lot of it's nutritional value in white bread for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Overeating is something you should avoid if possible. And obviously being a prude is not good for you. Um, <laughs> Bernard's rejection of prudery was tied directly to his love of fitness. Again, he likes these naked. He likes books that are showing people like yoga books and stuff that is Mm -hmm. yoga starting to be a big thing in this period of time and Mm -hmm. he loves these yoga books of people who are like nearly naked um and he thinks it's he thinks accurately that like yeah it's important you gotta you can't have somebody wearing like six layers of dresses showing you how to do a (laughs) yoga pose you're not gonna know what it looks like right um unfortunately bernard's lifelong hatred of vaccines and doctors which by this point have gotten to be a lot less nightmarish and medieval um mm-hmm. that is also makes it into his advice and again medical science isn't great at the time but in raging against those things he unknowingly set a pattern that's still going strong 130 years later because he's just like fuck doctors all you need is exercise which is mm-hmm. the same thing the people who have gotten made this pandemic so much worse also believe yeah. right uh-huh. you can draw a direct, li- a direct line from that to to, to mcfadden um and again I don't know that he would have been the same guy had he been born 130 years later, you know? Um, but <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, who knows uh, if his vaccination experience as a kid is, I didn't get uh, the typhus uh, right. as opposed to he, I nearly died for six straight months. He'd probably just be like an Abercrombie model where he's just like really jacked and loves going yeah. to the gym. Yeah. But like, you know, and maybe he, he might still be plagiarizing Jane Austen. Who knows? Who who doesn't plagiarize a little bit of Jane? I mean, my novel is just a plagiarism <laughs> of Jane Austen. And mine um, too. And yeah, everybody's. <laughs> Look, there's only been one book written. 
And it's, <laughs> I, I don't remember any Jane Austen titles. Fill it in. Finish the joke for Pride me. Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. That's the only book. Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Um, so the physical culture matinee was a success at drawing attention, but a failure at making money. And after two weeks of like waiting for all of this PR to turn into cash, Bernard is on the verge of bankruptcy. And at that point, when he's desperate, a successful actor, like a stage actor who's huge in New York City, walks into the door of his office as a personal trainer and asks, how much is it going to cost to get me in shape for a role? This is the first time this has ever happened. And Bernard thus invents what I think is like his third career field at this point, body sculptor to the stars. So this is the first time like a famous actor is like, I need to get jacked for a role. Yeah. Can you help me? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is like, I think he invents this. Like, this is like how all like Kumail Nanjiani just like got ridiculously swole. <laughs> like, this is the start of that entire career field is Bernard being like, oh shit, if I get this famous dude like ripped, that's going to bring then me a shitload of business. Then can be cast in the Eternals. Yeah. And he can be cast in the Eternals. Chris Pratt can go. I mean, I'm sorry to bring up Chris Pratt. That piece I, of shit. But like, yeah, but that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, this is a thing. But yeah, Chris um, Pratt would be nothing without Bernard McFadden. Nothing. Less than <laughs> shit think, beneath our feet. Do you think he would be Mr. Guardian of the Galaxy? No. Fuck no. We'd spit on him. <laughs> <laughs> like we did before I'd he was. I'd spit on him anyway, because he's yeah. a fucking homophobe he's piece a of loser. shit. Loser. Loser. Um, he's a very rich and successful asshole, unfortunately. But mm. anyway, whatever. Most of them are. <laughs> so... Bernard McFadden becomes a body sculptor to the stars and he gets suddenly just a flood of customers, right? It, it, it always has worked. If you can show like, hey, this famous person is jacked by doing this one simple trick, a bunch of people will be like, well, I could be famous too if I just mm -hmm. got jacked. Maybe that will make me famous, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the human brain is a magical thing. <laughs> so in short order, Bernard has more business than he knows what to do with. And he becomes a minor celebrity himself, getting the city's top celebrity photographer to agree to do a photo shoot of his body. Now, mm -hmm. this famous photographer is going to come by and take like shirtless pictures of Bernard posing mm -hmm. and he wants to look his best. So what does he do? He starves himself for a week before the session so that his abs will look more defined. Bernard. I think this is the first time anyone does that. Every ab scene you've ever seen, like if you if you can actually read about this, anytime you've seen an actor you like who's like super shredded in a movie where their mm -hmm. abs are, they don't drink any water for like a day before that scene because it makes their abs show they out more. They have to like do it's a thing, really unhealthy shit. It's really yeah. bad for you. I think he invents this. I think he's the first Horrible. person to be like, oh, I'm going to get like a shirtless photo taken. I better starve myself and deny myself water so that my muscles look more defined. Mm. Like, I think he invents this. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this, this guy invents so much shit. It's really kind of amazing. Um, and also, you know, terrible, because it's it's right. really, it's not only is it bad for the actors who do this, you can talk about, like, Hugh Jackman, I think, has talked a decent amount about, like, yeah, it's, it's fucking miserable being, like, famous for being super jacked because you have to yeah. stay super jacked which is like horrible like it's not Zac Efron has spoken about this too yeah. on his Netflix show where he's like it, I didn't eat a carb for six yeah. years and then he goes to Italy and yeah <laughs> and it's bad it, it's one of those things too it's also you're not actually nearly as strong as as you look when you are like that if you look at actual strong men like people who are like who compete to lift the the most weight like actual practical strength not like right. compete to look like a strong but compete to like who can lift 800 pounds over their head they all have huge middle sections and bellies because that's like yeah. necessary to being right. physically look at a longshoreman right like those guys would beat the shit out of your average 
huge underwear model. <laughs> and it's because like they're, they have functional anyway. It's right. bad to starve yourself. It's not, not good for you physically. It's not good for you. Not that it's <laughs> morally that. bad. Again, we've all struggled. A lot of us have struggled with eating disorders. I have, mm-hmm. but like, it's not good for you. And Bernard mm-hmm. really gets that started. Like really is the origin point for that in our culture, this idea of like starvation and like particularly starvation to make yourself look better for like a photo shoot, which Mm -hmm. then passes on to like all these people having unreasonable expectations for like, well, my body should look like that all the time. And it's like, well, their body doesn't look like that all the time. They didn't drink water for a day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like. So he's, he's the like origin point this, for this. He's like passing this information along. Like, here's a little tip and a trick. If yeah, you he, deny yeah. yourself food and water, You'll look you can great. look hot. <laughs> yeah. You ha- you think of this as like a virus. Like, he shoots this into the body politic, and it's never left. Mm. Um, it's great. For the next few years, Bernard works as a teacher, a personal trainer, a model, and a writer, finally selling articles on fitness and health to numerous publications. But the whole time, Bernard's number one product was Bernard McFadden, right? Again, this is very much like influencers today. Mm-hmm. Next, he decided to bring you the You are the good in the service. The, sorry, Ex- the product in the, the service. The product in the service. Goods are yes. trash. Fuck them. <laughs> Next, he decides to bring the benefits of his teaching to people in their homes by creating an exercise machine anyone could use. So he's the first fitness influencer to make an exercise machine and sell it through the infomercials of the Dude. day. Dude. <laughs> this guy... You have to respect how groundbreaking he is. Like every month of his 20s, he's inventing a thing that exists forever now. Like, and he hasn't killed that baby yet. He has or, not yet killed that baby. So I, maybe. I mean, it's debatable. Maybe. Right. So, so far, I mean, I admire his. Uh, There's a respect you have to have for anyone who is this influential. Right. Doesn't mean they're good because right. a lot of the things he's invented, e- at, even at this early stage, are bad things. But it is like, well, goddamn! Like, I mean, his productivity. And I know we shouldn't like yeah. measure someone's value or anything like that based on productivity. But, but uh, it's one of those things I still kind of hang on to, where I'm like, I've done nothing today, yeah. and this guy, and he's 25, and he's inventing th- th- all he's, these. He's things. created like four different poisons that still <laughs> exist in our society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he started singing the song that might end the world <laughs> you know <laughs> so he invents this exercise machine and he describes it as quote a combination of rubber cords running over pulleys um and it was such a failure in the u.s that the company making it goes bankrupt but oh bernard God. doesn't take this lying down instead he takes the the machines that have been built and he travels to england and he holds a series of stage shows where he shows up on stage in a loincloth lit from below on a background of black velvet and he poses with his machine lecturing on its benefits while showing off his shredded abs and biceps he is hosting the first infomercials which he does in england wow. Yeah, because he's like trying to advertise it, I think, through the paper in the U.S. It doesn't really work. Next, from the book Mr. America, perhaps inspired by the life-changing pamphlet of dumbbell exercises he'd received on his first visit to the Missouri gymnasium, he published a four-page brochure describing how to use the McFadden exerciser. When British audiences devoured this fitness wisdom, the frustrated writer began adding his rejected health articles to the publication's contents. What started as an instruction manual was soon transformed into a miniature physical culture periodical. Inside was an address to which interested parties could send money to receive future editions. Orders flooded in. McFadden quickly arranged to publish the pamphlets regularly out of London as McFadden's magazine. 
So he starts the first fitness magazine. This is really the first one that exists. And this leads, McFadden's magazine in England, leads quickly in 1898, like he returns home. Um, And in 1898, while he's back in the U.S., Bernard McFadden creates a new magazine. And this is going to be his first like dedicated full-time publication. Uh, And it is the first dedicated health magazine in history. He calls it Physical Culture. His wife would later say that most of his articles and the dozens of books he started writing from this point forward were the result of him encountering a physical malady, getting through it, and deciding that he had arrived at a medical breakthrough. Since his default treatment for almost everything was to starve himself or to exercise, most of his recommendations were based around starving yourself or exercising. He quickly developed a fan base from the Wall Street Journal. Quote, he attracted a following of serious people that included, among others, Upton Sinclair, the guy who wrote The Jungle, who contributed Mm -hmm. articles to physical culture. Proto-feminists such as Charlotte Perkins and Margaret Sanger also wrote for McFadden. From the beginning, physical culture was rooted firmly in the imperialist dogma and white supremacy at the time, but not in a Nazi way, um, in like the noble savage cultural appropriation way, right? I'm just like, they're different, so I'm I'm, I'm making that clear. From an article by Catherine Kaiser of James Madison University, quote, physical culture played into an ideal of frontier masculinity that may explain its strong circulation numbers in the West. The magazine contains some expressly regional content. In an early issue, a reader inquires about a physical culture settlement in New Mexico. Physical culture also plumbed U.S. mythologies associated with the West, praising indigenous diets and midwifery with imperialist nostalgia. Madden published fiction by Jack London, reinforcing that fantasy of white masculinity, Northwestern exploration, and the raw elements. The magazine was considered scandalous for its pictures of scantily clad bodies, which may explain its limited circulation along the Bible Belt. Physical culture's versions of muscular manhood and fearless femininity promulgated frank sexuality and clean eating, still hallmarks of California culture. So he kind of invents California in a lot of ways. <laughs> like he really, he really does. Like that's a, like this whole mix of like um, often ahistorical idolization of indigenous diets based on stuff white people wrote as opposed to actual history mm-hmm. mixed with like the the benefits of exercise and fasting. Like he invents California, suddenly, certainly and Southern California. Scantily clad, sexy and people. And scantily clad, sexy people. Yes, he's just created Southern California. <laughs> From the beginning, Physical Culture, the magazine, was influential for more than just its health advice. It was also one of the first mainstream publications where Americans could see scantily clad or even naked human bodies. At the time, Anthony Comstock was a U.S. postal inspector and the secretary of the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. His job was basically to make sure that stuffy Victorians in the Big Apple encountered nothing that might harm their sensibilities. When someone pointed out that there was a hugely popular magazine with photographs and drawings of topless women in it, he lost his fucking mind. From HistoryNet, quote, In 1905, he rented Madison Square Garden for a monster physical culture exhibition. Advertised with posters of muscular men and women, minimally dressed, Anthony Comstock, head of the Society for the Suppression of Vice, seized the posters and arrested McFadden for obscenity. The court convicted him without penalty. The hoopla drew 20,000 customers. So again, being censored is great for his business. Police again arrested McFadden in 1907, when a New Jersey postmaster charged that a physical culture article about venereal disease was obscene. The jury convicted McFadden. The judge sentenced him to two years in prison. 
He filed an appeal, meanwhile traveling the country denouncing prudes and censors, but the appeals court upheld his conviction. Facing prison, McFadden urged fans to write to President William Howard Taft. Deluged with letters, Taft, America's fattest president, pardoned the muscle-bound media king. Huh. Hmm. And it's, again, this mix of things that are bad and things that are good that he's doing. The, the, right. the obscene venereal disease articles that he gets censored for is him, like, talking very frankly about this is what gonorrhea looks like and, and what it does and how it's spread. Okay. This is what syphilis looks like and what it does and how it's spread. Like, it's he's actually doing a necessary public service that he gets censored for. But, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's cool. Now. <laughs> While all this is going on, McFadden is fighting the government, you know, while McFadden is fighting the government for his right to, like, show tits and talk about syphilis, he's also operating a cult compound in New Jersey. So he starts okay. a cult compound. Yeah. In the early 1900s. <laughs> of course. Um, and, of course. Yeah. Why not? Like I will one day do, but not on the East Coast. Because <laughs> that sounds horrible. We talked about no. this. We talked about this. And as cult compounds go, his was pretty milk toast. No one died or as far as I can tell, got like raped or anything. Like I don't I don't it, it like it's kind of a cult, but um Is it it's cult not really light? Yeah, it's definitely like a diet version. Diet I don't think it's he commits any cult. Oh god. Oh, yeah, god. I don't it, wow. it is a diet cult. Yeah. Wow. Buddy. Um but I have to say, it goes down in history as having the dumbest name in Colt Compound history. Are you fucking ready for this, Caitlin? I'm so excited. No, no. Physical Culture City. What? That is so stupid. <laughs> he calls it Physical Culture City. It's that not even truly horrible. Good. It's not even clever. Uh, it's very funny. It's like if I called my Colt Compound behind the bastard's town. Like, it's just kind of lame. Like, come on, Bernard. Is that not what you're going to call Call it Musopolis. Like, Jesus Christ. To understand his efforts here, we should go back and talk about the cult compound that inspired Bernard's cult compound. The much better named Zion City. That's a fucking compound name. That's what you call your cult compound, right? Zion City, solid cult compound name. Zion City had been founded at the turn of the century by a guy named John Alexander Dowie. Uh, Dowie or Dowie, whatever, was a preacher who brought 5,000 followers out of Chicago and created a small city where people could live a godly life. In Dowie's estimation, godly meant no drinking, smoking, pork, doctors, or vaccines. So you can see why Bernard McFadden loved this shit. Yeah. In 1903, Bernard declared Dowie the greatest leader and most remarkable reformer of the last hundred years. Shortly thereafter, Dowie was kicked out of his church for stealing from it. But Bernard remained deeply committed to his vision, and in 1904, he started writing columns in which he discussed his desire to buy land and create a city. Soon after, he bought 1,800 acres in northern New Jersey. He called it Physical Culture City, and it was large enough to be subdivided into many lots. His idea was that people would buy lots in Physical Culture City and build an actual industrial city. He wants this to have, like, factories and shit. Um mm. And it's located well. It's next to a railroad road crossing, so like it is possible to get stuff in and out of there. Um, it's got its own 70-acre water feature, which he calls Lake Margaret, uh, which is named after his second wife. He's gotten married and divorced once already. He okay. does this a lot. Um, okay. This happens to him a few times. So... <laughs> His employees noted that when it came to the women he married, he preferred Amazons, large-breasted women with large childbearing hips. Mm -hmm. um, when he married Marguerite, he immediately started having her write articles about raising children to a new magazine that he started for her articles called Beauty and Health. Now, neither of them had kids at this point. 
Um, huh. Yeah, but they're writing articles about how to raise them. Um, <laughs> immediately after their wedding, and again, this is his second marriage, Bernard writes a book, which is his 10th book in the last five years. He's just writing books all the goddamn time now. And, and he's, um, it sounds like he's pivoted from plagiarizing Jane Austen to mostly yeah. just like fitness and self-help. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> And the book he writes is Marriage, A Lifelong Honeymoon. Um, and in it, again, he's oh. failed at his first marriage. but And he just started his second. But he's like, I got this shit figured out now. I know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about, he thinks. And his conclusion is that all divorces are caused by people not exercising enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Oh, wow. He's, he is funny. He's quite a guy. <laughs> In 1905, Bernard and Marguerite had a baby, a daughter, and immediately moved to a house that they'd built in Physical Culture City. The city's opening was announced in Bernard's magazine to great fanfare. He bragged it would be, quote, a community with no sickly prudes, no saloons, drugstores, tobacco shops, or places in which one may purchase things that make for the moral undoing of man or woman. Speaking of moral undoings, Bernard almost immediately fell in love with his secretary, Susie, and he set a house up with her in the house he lived with with his wife. Um, and yeah, Wait, he set up a house in the same yeah, house? Yeah, he moved her into the house with his wife. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so his wife leaves. Incredible. She goes to Canada. He never sees her again. Mm. She takes her their daughter with him. And her and he never sees his daughter again either oh i don't gosh. think um he's fine with this because he's got Susie now uh Susie's mom moves in to help keep up the house to keep it clean and Susie mm. gets pregnant with bernard's second child in 1906 physical culture city operated again another innovation as an internship scan he advertised degrees and physical culture to people who would come and cut down trees and plant crops for free mm. um he would like build streets and stuff he, he builds this as a work study program but he makes it impossible to graduate, so they stay as indentured laborers the whole time. Holy shit. <laughs> I know. What a fucking groundbreaking thinker. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. I did not expect for that to take that turn. He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Most people who resided in Physical Culture City were interns. Uh, the rest were a handful of wealthy cranks who wanted to spend all their time nude uh, or experiment with weird diets. There were a lot of raw food fanatics uh, who like <laughs> live in Physical Culture City. The whole project fell apart, of course. Uh, it never eclipsed 200 people in population. Bernard's arrest for transporting obscene material through the mail actually happened because the postmaster that he'd bribed to handle the city's mail got angry when Bernard then tried to cut him out of the business. And this postmaster reports him to the feds. A lot of formerly dedicated members abandoned the project when Bernard abandoned his wife. And they're like, oh, maybe this guy isn't doesn't know all. Everything. He wrote a book on how marriage is a long lasting honeymoon. And then he yeah. abandons his wife. I, I can't trust him. Yeah, Maybe this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, these two things together led to a mass exodus that was exacerbated by a disastrous town meeting in which Bernard accused everyone else of committing my favorite term ever physical culture treason <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect maniac <laughs> physical culture treason 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. He's very funny. <laughs> By 1907, he and his operation were back in New York City. By 1910, he'd written another eight books, and he'd opened a chain of health food restaurants that sold healthy meals for one cent. And these do seem to have been pretty good. Wait, he eight also books f- in three years? Sorry, I'm just doing yeah, that math, no, and that's I don't wild. think they're, they're not good books, Caitlin. <laughs> okay. he's, like, he's like Stephen King, but with health shit. <laughs> right, okay. What if a car made you fit? I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) So he also founded a chain of healthatoriums, most of which operated similarly to the health club at Battle Creek, operated by Dr. Harvey Kellogg. Uh, Bernard personally created treatment plans for each of the patients who showed up at his healthatorium for extended stays. Most of his treatments involved fasting or starvation. Um, And that's where we're going to end for part one, Caitlin. We have a a, a good bit more of Bernard's tale to tell, but that's going to have to wait until Thursday. Until then, do you have any pluggables to plug? Oh, goodness. I do. And they are this. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Caitlin Durante. And you can check out the podcast that I co-host with Jamie Loftus called The Bechdel Cast, in which we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens. And of course, you can find Caitlin at Physical Culture City. Um, Born and raised. Born and raised. (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.